Hello, and welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. On today's episode, number 40, we are joined by the one and only, the legendary cycling coach, Hunter Allen. Hunter was co-author of the book, Training and Racing with the Power Meter with Dr. Andy Coggin, which has been translated into eight languages and sold over 120,000 copies. He also co-wrote Cutting Edge Cycling with Dr. Stephen Chung and was the co-developer of Training Peaks WKO software. And Hunter is also the founder of the Peaks Coaching Group. Widely known as one of the top experts in the world in coaching endurance athletes using power meters, Hunter Allen has been instrumental in developing and spreading the power training principles. Hunter is a USA Cycling Level 1 coach, was the 2008 BMX technical coach for the Beijing Olympics, and has taught the USA Cycling Power Certification course since 2005. Hunter is a former professional cyclist. He rode for 17 years on the Navigators team with over 40 road victories to his credit. Hunter has been coaching endurance athletes since 1995, and his athletes have achieved more than 2,000 victories, numerous national world championship titles, and Olympic medals. If there is one person on this planet who can help us get more from our power meters, it is Hunter. Listen in as Hunter walks us through the basics of what to track and how to use the information to get you faster on the bike. All right, let's talk to Hunter. Hunter, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm so, so honored to be here, excited to talk with both of you, and, and this, is, uh, this is a true, true honor, so thank you. Such, a, such an honor to have you here as well, Hunter. I really appreciate you coming on. And do you guys actually know each other from the past? Oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, who doesn't know Glenn Winkle if you're a bike racer? I mean, everybody knows Glenn Winkle. I mean, come on. Yeah, I got a big X in my back no matter where I go, <laughs> especially in bike races. He does actually complain about that all the time. Yeah, they're always watching yeah. me. Yeah. And they're always watching me for good reason. For good reason. These right, guys right. never. No, we raced together a long time ago. We've been in the industry for 20-some years, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, that's fabulous. Well, Hunter, we actually have two episodes here scheduled to record with you, which is amazingly great. Thank you. But that wouldn't begin to scratch the surface of all the places where you could help. So we're going to have to focus. And so yeah. the, the two areas that I want to focus and the, the second area, the one that we'll get to in the next episode will be your uh, video that you did. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you can explain about that and, and how that has evolved maybe even since then on sure. yoga for cyclists, which is actually how your name came up. And when Glenn and I were talking, I was saying, I really want to get somebody who knows about yoga. I said, I'm sure that there's some benefits there and I just don't know what they are. Who would know? And he goes, I know somebody. <laughs> nice. Nice. So that, so that really is great. Well, but it really turns out that where you are essentially famous is for the work that you did uh, some years ago and then, and since on training with power, meaning power meters. Correct. And again, there's just way too much for us to hit on that. But if we can figure out some things where you think are going to be the most meaningful for the mm -hmm. older athlete, the mm -hmm. master's athlete, the wise athlete, you know, sure. to plug our own podcast here, then that, that'll be what we'll want to talk about. Uh, but before we jump into that, can you give our audience for the one or two of them who maybe don't know you, who you are or don't know much of your background. Can you give us a little bit of how did you get into the cycling business and uh, what you've done? Sure, absolutely. Uh, well, it all started when my mom and dad said I wasn't allowed to have a motorcycle. And <laughs> smart. They were smart. And I was like, well, what about a BMX bike? Would that work? And they're like, well, bicycles, those aren't dangerous. Sure, you can have one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so so oh, that's, uh, that's what started my cycling career. And, and uh, you know, super fortunate to, you know, race BMX for a long time. And then, then actually realized like, wow, I'm actually not that great of a sprinter. I have more endurance and I'm more of an endurance athlete. And so came into mountain biking and road cycling, was fortunate enough to be a pro in the road in the mid-90s for a team called the Navigators team. Um, nice. And uh, we had a lot of fun racing, raced in Europe some, had some fun there and, and a lot of suffering, but um, all good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then after that, you know, I kind of had that 
what am I going to do with the rest of my life moments uh, once I retire from pro cycling? And uh, at that time, coaching, there was no, there were no coaches. There was nobody who could coach you as a cyclist in the country and really in the world. And we didn't have that system in Europe. You know, they have kind of the club system where you're part of a club and they get the old grizzly dude who says, okay, do this, you know, do this and take you along. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but we don't have that here in the U.S. and, and still really don't. Um, but we have coaches now. And so I started coaching some local guys. And then oh, a, a young man came along and, and uh, it was 98, 99. He said, hey, I got this power meter thing. What <laughs> do I do with it? You know, and I'm like, I, I don't know. I, we have heart monitors. We didn't have power meters when we were pros. I don't know. But I'll figure it out. Yeah. And so he started sending me spreadsheets and all those 100 watts, this 300 watts. And I was like, I don't know if this is good or bad. So I bought one and I started training again. I said, you know what? I'm going to have to train again like I was a pro. I'm going to do all my old hill climbs. I'm going to do all my interval repeats. I'm going to do some races again. I need to get data on races, figure out what this means. All right. So I started working with it. Um, and then um, we went to the first ever power seminar in 2000 that USA Cycling did. Dr. Coggin was there, my good friend now, uh, Dean Golich, who's a coach for CTS, and Dr. Alan Lim, who, who now owns Scratch Labs. And right. so uh, this was all presented. And they said, you know, great things about power. This is amazing. But they said, we don't have any good software um, to analyze this data. And so my client said, well, you know, I'm a programmer. Let's just build the software. So I was like, really? Okay. So um, we started building Cycling Peaks software, we called it, uh, in 2002, 2001, 2002. We launched it on the world 2003. And um, that became, um, then there was another piece of software that Joe Friel and his son had created um, called TrainingBible.com after Joe's book. Right. So um, they approached us. We built a great relationships. So we merged the two companies. So Training Bible and Cycling Peaks became Training Peaks. There you go. That was how the, the birth of Training Peaks was created. Uh, and so I, I was an owner of Training Peaks um, for a long time until 2014 or so. Um, all along that way, um, Dr. Coggin and I were working very hard to try and figure out how do we develop a system in training with a power meter so that we could make it you know, here's the steps. I bought one of these things. What do I do? And and we ended up writing a book called Training and Racing the Power Meter, which came out in 2006. There hey, you go. I have a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. That's great. And uh, and mainly, you know, we just did it because we're like, oh, I'm tired of answering the same email over and over, you know. <laughs> Let's do this to get this information out. People stop bothering us. But, um, it, you know, and that was that was really great because it, and we never really set out to like kind of revolutionize cycling. We just set out to basically give this knowledge to people and say, hey, here's what this is. And, um, and it turns out it like completely revolutionized cycling in the way that we train, which has been yeah. phenomenal and really amazing. Yeah. You know, and I just mentioned that I own a copy of the book and I'll tell you that I bought it the day after I bought my first power meter. Nice. And, you know, and of course I, I didn't have to know much to get that power meter installed. I just went down to the bike shop and boom, it was on. And then, you know, and it took no effort to get it connected to my computer. Uh, but then learning <laughs> how to do it, I never actually really read the book. <laughs> 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 it made me feel good to know that I had a resource, but I just never really quite got around to reading how to do it. And what I really needed was this podcast where in a short amount of time, I could, somebody could just tell me, here are the benefits, here are the things to be sure to do, yep. and here are the things that you know yep. are, are not really that useful that a lot, I see a lot of people doing. And, you know, you can do it for the fun of it if you want to, but it's not really helping you. What would you say to people like me who can't read? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I would say that um, let's just go through the steps then. So the the real simple steps. Number one, you've got to collect data. Okay. So you've got to just go out and ride your bike, right? So you need two weeks of just kind of data. 
and and go do training, right? Just go go up your favorite hill, go do your favorite group ride, go do some sprints, do whatever. Just do some training. Let's just collect some data to understand a little bit about what does 300 watts mean to to me. You know, what does it mean when I stand out of the saddle and I go as hard as I can up this hill? What does it mean when I do a sprint? So get an um, you know that personal relationship with those numbers. I think that's the most important part. That's the first step. And in part of that, we have to test. So the testing that we do, so the great thing that Dr. Coggin always talks about is testing is training, training is testing. So oh. testing is training, training is testing. So when we go out and we train, what are we doing? We're testing ourselves. When we go and do a test, okay, what are we doing? Well, those are just intervals, you know, so I'm just doing intervals, you know, I'm just doing them in a, in a test, you know. Um, but we need to test a few different areas of our physiology. And so the, there are four basic areas of physiology that we want to test. Number one, uh, we call it neuromuscular power. So this is your ability to contract a muscle as quickly and as forcefully as you can. Okay, so this is your sprint. So we do that in a five second. So for a very short time. Oh, five second. Okay. So, yeah, so do, do a sprint. You need to do like a 15 second sprint um, because we don't know, you know, the first couple of seconds may not be great. You're kind of getting up to speed, jumping on the gear or whatever, but get a 15 second sprint. We're going to look at your best five seconds out of that. Um, and that's what we represent as your neuromuscular power. The next one down the line below that would be anaerobic ability or anaerobic capacity. And this is around about a minute. It's somewhere between 30 seconds and two minutes for most people. But we kind of test a minute and we say, you know what, what can you do? What's your best average power for a minute? So find a hill, six to 8% if you got a hill. If you don't have a hill and you live in a flat area, go into the wind. Attack it as hard as you can the first 30 seconds. In the last 30 seconds, you just die a thousand deaths. Uh, it's, yeah. it's brutal, right? It's I mean, brutal. the last yeah. 10 seconds, you feel like you're just pedaling in squares and I'm going <laughs> four miles an hour. Right. Um, but that way, you really exhaust your anaerobic capacity in the first 30 seconds and you end up getting a, the best number. And that's really what we're looking for is what is that? Then the next level down, we look at what's your VO2 max. And VO2 max is represented by, you know, the scientific literature, of course, is the volume of oxygen you can bring into your lungs, et cetera, getting that to the muscles and working hard and all that jazz. But we can kind of define it also in about a, a time frame. So from three to eight minutes, when we do intervals in that time frame, that's typically when we're utilizing that system the most. So we kind of put that in the middle. We said, well, you know what? Five minutes is right in the middle of that. Let's test the five minutes. So you go out and you have to pace yourself on this one. It's not like a one minute test. You got to pace yourself at five minutes. Um, you push as hard as you can. You should be at your ventilary threshold at the end of it. You are blasted at the end. It's a tough test. Then the gold standard is what we call the functional threshold power test. And this is so 60 FTP. minutes. FTP. This is it. This mm. is what you've heard about. This is all, all right. dreaded all along, right? Yeah. Um, and it's an hour test. And that came about because Andy and I thought about it. And we said, well, you know, what's the gold standard as a test as a bike racer? And that's a 40-kilometer time trial. And as you get into cycling, right, and there's lots of these 40K time trials around, you know, that's like the district time trial, et cetera, usually. And as you get into cycling, one of your goals typically is to break an hour for 40K, right? right? And it's like, well, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break an hour for 40K. I'm going to ride 25 miles an hour, and that's my goal. And th that's a very admirable goal. That's a great goal. Um, as yeah. you get faster and faster, that yeah. number comes out. And so – that's where we said, you know, that's that's the baseline. That's the gold standard that everybody can can associate with. And then we looked at he looked at a lot of the literature and said, you know, this also correlates very well with this idea of a threshold, and it also correlates incredibly well with your performance. And so, what you can do for you know, if you, the higher your threshold power is, the higher category you race. The better you are, et cetera, all that. So it's really a really key de determining factor in your ability to be successful as a cyclist. Okay. Now, 
the, the idea, and this is really where everybody gets lost and has been misinterpreted over the years and, and people forget about it is I said, well, you know, Hey, 60 minutes, it's, it's one, it's, it's hard. It's long. Um, it's a long time to be focused. It's a lot of suffering going on there. Um, where am I going to do a 60 minute time trial, especially right. if I live, you know, in an right. area that's, that's busy. Without hitting um, a stoplight or a stop sign or something. <laughs> totally. Or do you have a 60 minute climb in your backyard? I mean, these are tough things, right? So we said, well, what if we made a shortcut? And I said, I told Andy, I said, you know, let's make a shortcut. Let's do a 20 minute test and then subtract the percentage off of that. And that should be in the ballpark. So we, uh, we looked at a lot of data. We had a lot of athletes do these 20 minute tests and we came out with, well, if we take 20 minutes, subtract 5% off of that, and then that is in the ballpark of your FTP. Now, the confusion comes in, and this is where it's important, everybody, to pay attention. So if you're not listening and you're playing with your phone right now, listen up. <laughs> All the listeners out there, right? You have to do the, a five-minute test before you do the 20-minute test because you want oh. to blow out the anaerobic ability and get rid of that. You want to reduce the anaerobic work capacity. So you don't want to do it fresh if you're going to do this shortcut. You got it, Joe. That's exactly okay. right. And, and that's what and that's what people approach. It's like, well, wait, well I'm, I'm going to be tired if I do that. I'm like, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. so, so, so that's, and that's important. And a lot of people forget that five minute test. But if we don't do that, the 20-minute test is short. And if you have a strong anaerobic, anaerobic ability, that will really skew your 20-minute number too high. And yeah. you may need to be, oh, man, you got to take 10% off of what you right. would do right. instead of five. So it's really a, a much better measurement if you do the five-minute test first, then do the 20-minute, take 5% off that. So kind of to recap, that's so collect data and then we do our testing. We test those four different areas. Does that make sense? It sure does. And it sounds like this is where the, uh, the power curve comes from then. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. So the power curve is a curve of all of your best powers over every, every time frame from zero seconds out to your longest ride. Um, and so that's a, we call that the, if when you go and do it, we call it your mean maximal power, your average best power. And so that's a personal curve that you make. And then we lay what's called a, uh, the power duration curve, which is just a, a mathematical line of best fit over top of that data. And then that gives us a way to start deriving other metrics from that. So, um, that's kind of the, the next step of that piece. So uh, do people tend to have a similar looking power curve or is it really individual? Great question. And so that was the, the next step of that. We take that data and we turn it into what's called a power profile. And um, we originally created the power profile again to just kind of compare ourselves and our athletes against the world's champions. And so we got, we were very fortunate to get a world champion file from the track uh, in the sprint, a world champion from the pursuit, Olympic gold medalist in the pursuit. Uh, and then we got um, Chris Boardman's data from when he set the hour record. Uh, nice. And then we also got, we've gotten some more data since then. And so we set, this is the standard, right? Here's the best in the world. Where do you fit against the best in the world? And when you, when you have kind of that understanding, it's like, well, I'm a pretty good sprinter. You know, I'm, I'm really good. I'm very good at one minute and anaerobic ability. And, you know, I'm excellent as a at FTP. So then that shape of that power profile determines, well, what we call your phenotype. So there are four main phenotypes. Uh, uh, you're a sprinter. Okay. You're great at sprinting. Um, number two, you're very good as a pursuiter. Okay. So a pursuit is on the track. You know, it's somebody who's very good between, you know, less than five minutes, you know, somewhere in that range. They've got great anaerobic ability and they've got great, um, aerobic ability. Then there's also a, um, a time trialist or climber. 
or steady state rider. Okay. So, so this is somebody who can just, they can just go forever at a really high power. They're good at endurance races, maybe ultra endurance races. They're great time trials. Again, they may be good climbers, you know, and you may have a time trialist who's not a good climber and they still are, you know, we, we call them time trialists, but really they're steady state riders. They're very good at that. And the last one is the all arounder. Okay. So they just suck at everything. <laughs> yes, I'm familiar with this model. <laughs> no, quite the opposite, right? They're they're good at everything. Um, they have a decent sprint. Um, they're pretty good at one minute. They can time trial, but maybe not with the best. Or they can climb, but maybe not with the best. You know, and so those guys are the ones who are the real threats to win any race because you know it's like, wow, okay you can get into a breakaway and they can maybe win from the sprint or breakaway, or they can win solo off of a breakaway and attack and run away because they can time trial. They can, you know, attack early and get to the climb and climb fast enough to get over the climb and win the race that way. Or maybe if it comes down to a field sprint, they're even decent enough. If they get the right move, they can win in a field sprint. So all arounders are, 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 are great, great riders too. So those four phenotypes, you have to define yourself because then the next step of that is what do we do with the events that we want to train for, right? Define the demands of the events. All right. We have to define the demands of the events. And then we have to make sure that we match our personal abilities with those demands. Well, let me ask you a question before we jump into that detail, because <laughs> this is a nice logical progression. I hate to interrupt you, but the, the question that I just got to ask is, this, these profiles, these archetypes that you mentioned, um, do people tend, in your experience, do people tend to be one or another naturally, or is it based on sort of the, the sort of things they've done for the last 20 years, or is it that I really want to be a sprinter, and so I'm going to train my sprint, and then I can become a sprinter? Right. That's a great question. So um, there is a little bit of each. Um, so sprinters, for example, are really born and not made. Okay, so you're you got to pick the right parents to be a sprinter. Um, you got a lot of fast twitch muscle fibers. A lot of fast twitch muscle fibers. I'll give you, here's here's a, a quick little anecdote. I think that all the audience will appreciate. And I know you guys will too. I had a a masters rider come to me. He's fifty eight. And um, he's, he, he wanted to win the Virginia, I live in Virginia, Virginia. He wanted to win the Virginia Best All-Around Rider Award. And the, he came to me in October. And that season, he got second to this one other competitor of his 10 times. And he got second overall in the Best All-Around Rider Award. And this guy who beat him, beat him in the sprint by a tire width, a wheel width, a half a wheel width, a bike length, like every single race just always beat him. So just the slightest margin. The slightest margin. And so he came to me and said, you know what? I've got to be a better sprinter. I've got to crush this guy in sprints. We need to train sprints this winter. I want you to make me a better sprinter. And we're, I want you to help me win next year. So did all of his day, look all his day. I said, okay, well, we'll work on his sprints. We'll do some sprint stuff this winter. We'll focus on it. I put him in the weight room. He did weights. We did plyometrics. We did big gear, standing start intervals. We did all kinds of sprints all through the winter. I mean, he must have spent 50 hours training his sprint that winter. Going into the winter, he, he could crack out 980 watts. Couldn't break 1,000 watts. Okay, so that's not a great sprinter, right? I mean, a really good sprinter, right. for example, let's say Mark Cavendish is like 1,800 watts, okay? <laughs> um, so at the end of 50 hours of training, the winter's over, we got some rest in there, he goes back out and cracks out 1,080 watts, improves his sprint by 100 watts, okay? So we got some improvement. Good. Problem was that the guy he, that was beating him he could sit on the couch all winter and still do 1300 Watts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. So it didn't really matter. Right. It, we couldn't improve his sprint enough. Now the bonus for him was 
I kind of knew this going in. I said, well, we're also going to train your FTP. I moved his FTP okay. from 270 watts to 320. And so oh, that's a big that jump. year, that was a big jump, right? That was a big jump. That year, he went from basically getting second to winning every single race, but he won it off the front and just dropped right. the guy. Right. Okay. So, I love it. So it's hard to make somebody who's not a sprinter into a sprinter, but there's other ways to win. Right. And so, and, and so Joe, this, I know this is a really cool concept and this is something too. We'll come back to the other, the other question you had too, but that's an example. You've, you've probably heard the old um, adage, train your weakness, race your strength, right? Oh, I got to train my weakness. And I'm going to race my strengths. Well, you know what? People who they're, they're, there are people who just don't, they're non-adapters. They, they don't improve their sprint, you know, or maybe they don't improve their FTP. And so those people train your weakness, race your strength doesn't work. Well, they need to train their strength, race their strengths, right? Right. And what good, why do you need a better sprint if you are off the front? Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, if I could have taken the guy's FTP to 350, and use that other 50 hours, he would have been national champion, you know, that year. And so, so, so you have to kind of always come back to this idea and that's part of the phenotype and it leaves in, you know, okay. what are you? So when you kind of, when you come back to the other levels, like, okay, um, can I become a time trialist? Well, if you're in that all arounder category, if you're, if you've got a, probably a pretty good pursuit, you know, type of thing, there's a chance that you can be a good time trial. So that depends on your, your VO2 max, you know, how much time you do training at your FTP, all those things. Okay. So, so they're in the all arounder. They're pretty cool because they can improve in every area. So if you're but still, there's trade-offs, it sounds like. You, you still have oh. to pick. Even though I could be a better time trialist, that's going to affect my ability to go past threshold and recover if I'm trying to do that in, say, crits or something. Exactly. 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 Okay. So okay. I, have a, I have a question for Glenn. So, Glenn, you know, um, you know, you won so many races. You know, you won them in every different way if you had to, <laughs> if you had to define yourself what would you define yourself as i'm an all-rounder i really all am yeah i mean i i've got a good sprint i got a good pursuit um i can go i'm not the best time trialist i know that i'm not the best climber but um it's i'm really much i've looked at this done my power profiles and everything else and i tend to to, to gear towards the pursuiter i've got tremendous anaerobic capacity and ability to recover and bounce back from and my mm -hmm. VO2 max when was tested was way off the charts. It was like in the 92, 93 range. Wow. But that was some that was some 20 years ago. So I don't know what it is right now, but it's nowhere where it was back then. So <laughs> <laughs> for me, the, the key thing is trying to slow down the aging process, trying to mm -hmm. maintain performance as we age. I see that because I'm approaching 70 in about three or four years now. So wow. I'll be in that yeah. grandmaster category. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love that title, by the way. I haven't ever heard that before. Is that is that something you just invented, or is is that an established <laughs> terminology? Well, I mean, some people say that, but I, I think that that should be a, a established terminology because you know, I mean, think about right our grandparents, right? Our grandparents, right? They were seventy, eighty years old. You're like, man, they're old, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? But now, I mean, you know, we got all these guys. We're coaching. I'm coaching guys in their seventies. They're kicking freaking ass. And yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, our, we, we've done, we're doing that. The plan you're talking about, our longevity is incredible. We've got these amazing athletes that are just going on forever and ever and ever now. And, and so I think yeah. that we need to say like, you know, grandmaster is 70 plus, you know, I love that. Well, in fact, uh, what we did chat about before we got the record button press, but having said on the recording here is that our podcast here with wise athletes is this intersection between athletic performance and health span. I have called it athletic performance longevity. So it's more than just trying to be as fast as you can this year. You also want to be healthy, which helps you to be fast this year, but also helps you to stay in the game for a long time. There's definitely something to this long-term thinking. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But before we jump into it, you were about to talk about 
event types, and I stopped you because I wanted to ask about whether people were trainable and switching between the archetypes. And I, I think you were right, going right. to say, you know, people should end up picking the kinds of events that they're suited to. I mean, if, if doing well is their goal. Now, if they just want to have fun and do whatever, then we'll do whatever. But for the people who are in that all-rounder category, then they can train for their events as well. But probably everybody can do a little better. Even the non-sprinter could be better at sprinting. They're never going to beat the sprinter off the couch, but they're, they'll be better at sprinting if that's what they want, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where you need to decide, you know, what, what is, once you understand your power profile, then you say, okay, am I, am I really good at, at, you know, this hard, short type effort? So maybe criterium racing is the best for me. Um, or, wow, I'm really good at um, ultra endurance. So I'm going to do the, the dirty Kanza, whatever, the unbound thing for 200 miles, you know, right. um, you know, or I'm going to do Leadville 100. Uh, you know, and so I think that those are the things where you kind of have to bring that in and think about, number one, what do you want to do? What do you like doing? Right. And it's yeah. like, you know, I'm an all arounder as well, just like Glenn. Um, you know, I tend to be more towards a sprinter, um, but I'm not a great sprinter, but I have to work hard at keeping my FTP high. So for me, I, I love going and, and doing big mountains and such. Um, but I'm not particularly great at doing big mountains, but I like doing them because I like riding my bike, you know, and seeing beautiful views and stuff. So sure. there's always that. But if I'm going to go race, well, give me a six corner criterion with a hill in it. And me and Glenn are going to be off the front. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Definitely. Sweet. Yeah. Well, awesome. So, so well, that's, let's jump- that's brilliant. Go ahead. Excellent. Well, let's jump back into this this longevity thing, this business of, you know, you want to perform well now, and you also want to perform, you want to stay active and strong late into your life. Uh, part of that is you got to keep going. So part of that, it relates back to this, well, do stuff you like so that you'll keep doing it, you know, and you're not looking for every excuse to get out of it. So, you know, finding events that you're suited to that you know, yeah, it's, you got to train hard, but you're not working against your nature. So you're training really hard and not really getting a lot of benefit out of it. That's frustrating. Train for the things that you're naturally good at. You'll get better at that and it'll feel like it was worth it to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think that that's a, that's a, that's a great way to say it. And I think that's important to keep in mind because you know, it, it, it should be fun. It really should be fun. I, I mean, and I think that's where you've got to find that and keep that, that part of it. And sometimes that means taking a break. I mean, just before our, our, our podcast here, I got off the phone with a client and she's struggling right now. And because she thinks that, man, you know, she's had a big summer. She's worked really hard. Her FTP went from 170 watts up to 220. She pushed it. Nice. I mean, a really great athlete. But she's struggling with workouts right now, and she's just kind of tired of doing hard workouts. And I say, you know what? That's normal. Like, just you got to take a break. You know, it's not about intervals every single day. Nobody wants to do that all the time. Um, And it needs to still have the fun component. So let's just take two weeks. It's fine. Right now is a great time to take it. She didn't have any big events coming up. Take a couple of weeks, go do other things, go hiking, you know. Right, right. Cross training, do new things. Yeah. Do something else, you know. And and I think that's that's the key to keeping us fresh because we don't want to quit the sport, right? Because we love cycling and we love endurance sports. I mean, not for the people who aren't just cyclists on this listening here. You can be a runner and you love doing it, you love the endurance piece of it. And so I don't ever want an athlete to get to a place where they, they just become in this downward spiral and they're not having fun anymore and they don't take that break. And then they just end up quitting altogether because that's counterproductive to health, longevity, movement, all those things we're going after. Right. Well, awesome. Uh, I wanted to shift into a related topic uh, but before I did, uh, Glenn, did you have anything you wanted to follow on here before I shifted gears? Well, it, it might be a shift in gears altogether. I was just have a, it's a, it's a question I'll pop now. We can always ask it later, 
But I know in cycling we have the unique ability because we're working through a bicycle and a crank to record power. But I was wondering if you know, do, do runners have that ability or do swimmers have that ability now to record power in any way? So in running, there are, are two different devices right now um, that work pretty well. So one is called Stride, S-T-R-Y-D, and that's a uh, pod on your foot. And then also uh, there's an accelerometer kind of on your heart rate strap. That was the first one out there. They can measure that power. Um, and there's another one called Run Scribe, and they're kind of um, – they're they have more features and, and they're a little bit more advanced than the stride power meter. And those are great tools because they can figure out how many watts you're producing um, by, when you run. And so running is a little different because in cycling, you know, watts, more watts is better, right? You're going to go faster. You're producing more watts. You're going to go faster in running. Eh, the problem <laughs> is you can produce more watts by just landing harder on the ground. We don't, we don't necessarily want to land really hard on the ground. So in running, it's a balance of like, okay, well, how hard are we landing on the ground? How long is our contact time on the ground? What's what, um, how much is the vertical oscillation? So a lot of people move up and down instead of going forward. So we want to reduce that vertical oscillation. We want to reduce the amount of time we're on the contact on the ground itself. And we want to reduce that force. So it's always this blend of, well, what can I keep myself doing moving forward with and also producing the most power without slowing myself down? So that's a that's a unique thing, which is really good. In swimming, there is nothing in the pool as of yet. Um, there is a dry land training um, tool called the VASA, V-A-S-A, uh, swim trainer. And they have really created a neat um, trainer. You, you lay on, on your on your tummy, and it's similar for those of you who, who uh, use cross country ski machines, the Nordic Track. You know, I know Glenn has years of, of Nordic tracking in the off season, um, and uh, you know it's a similar machine, but you're on your belly and you're used doing the swimming motion. And so they're measuring all of the watts with your swimming motion, which, and it translates really, really well into the pool. Um, so that's a very, very neat tool that a lot of swimmers are using. Hmm. Well, cool. All right. Awesome. I'm just, I just like that. I mean, we have a unique ability in cycling. It's, it's, it really does translate so well directly too. And, and I know there are a lot of athletes that don't even know what a power meter is. have no idea what it does. Um, I, I meet these people all the time and they have no idea how to even use them. In fact, in fact, when I first started out, it's much to your own situation. I was like, I spent all this money for this power meter. I was like, it's like a heart rate monitor. I mean, what's the big deal? And now, of course, I can't live without it. I mean, I'm yeah. always tracking my power, watching what I'm doing, and you know, I'm climbing hills. And um, the funnest part of all for me is the fact that after a bike race, I'll look at my numbers and go, whoa. Really? I mean, certain parts of a race where I put the power out, it's not the last lap when I'm sprinting. It's two corners before the last lap when you're trying to get positioned for the sprint, that kind of thing. You realize the kind of power you put out to make that turn to make the sprint actually make it happen. It's right, awesome. right. And that, that's, a, that's an actual workout, Glenn. So that's one thing that a lot of people miss, too, that when they go into a sprint workout, they typically just do one sprint. Okay, I'm going to go and sprint hard for 10 or 15 seconds to do it but that doesn't mimic the demands of the race. Mm -hmm. And so really what you need to do is you kind of to, to mimic the demands of that race. It's like, well, gosh, I need to ride up to my FTP for a couple of minutes. So I'm stable there. And then I need to do a sprint that's about 80 to 90% of my final sprint. And it usually lasts about 10 to 12 seconds. That's where you got to get that position. And yeah. then I've got to do my full and then stay there for 10 or 15 seconds and then do my full out 15 seconds sprint at the end. And that really mimics, you know, what a real race is like. So that, that's a great little training tool. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, that was very similar to where I wanted to go with it, Glenn. Uh, although I was going to focus <laughs> on cycling, I, I, my experience actually is a little different. I, I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't have a power meter. But very few people have any idea what it's for other than like telling you, what was your max power today? Woo, look, 
look how big that number was, you know, for that one second out of that two hour ride. Uh, you know, and other people are like throwing around TSS, you know, and, you know, with their chest stuck out and like you're bragging <laughs> about, you know, yeah, look how, look how much TSS I did today. What'd you do? <laughs> uh, and, um, so I guess I, where I'd like to go Hunter is to say, you've seen, well, you've been in this training with power for, since the beginning, what are the mistakes that you see people making? Uh, what are the opportunities that for people who've got power meters, which I think mm -hmm. is a lot right. of people and, yeah. and they could really be using it to their advantage and they're not. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, I, and I guess, you know, if from your experience, what, what sure. do you see? What, what do you advise people to do? Right. So, so there, there are three things that, that really, you know, we need to focus on when you have a power meter. Number one, you have to, to track that training stress score. So the TSS, you have to understand what training stress score is. And it's back to that gold standard. It goes hard as you can for an hour and you get a hundred points. Okay. So I get a hundred points. Joe, you get a hundred points. Glenn, you get a hundred points. Chris Froome gets a hundred points. Mark Cavish gets a hundred points. If we all go as hard as we can our FTP, we get 100 points. So that's yeah. nice because it gives us a relationship to what happens when you make when you do 300 points. Oh right. well, that's, it, but it also makes a makes the point that if you haven't done this collecting data, if you haven't been testing yourself, then these metrics aren't meaningful. So you've right. got to do some of the work just so that you can get the metrics out. Right, because your TSS, your training stress score, will be incorrect if your FTP is not set correctly. If you think, oh, my FTP is 270, it's really 250, then you're going to underestimate, you know, or overestimate, depending on which way you go with, with your guess. So you've got to yeah. do the test. Now, what we do at TSS, it's, it's important daily, but it's really important when we look at it over time. So we, we've created, we created a, a chart called the performance manager chart. This looks at what we call chronic training load. That's the last 42 days of training that we've done because the last six weeks of training, our physiology changes in about six to eight week cycles. And so the last 42 days, we look at what we've done the last 42 days and what we did yesterday. This is what we call our fitness. So generally, the higher your chronic training load is, the higher FTP is, the higher fitness is. Okay. Now, we also look at what's called acute training load. That's what you've done in the last seven days. Wow. So, this is what you're feeling right now. So, wow, if I went out and rode hard these past three days, you know, then I'm sore. My muscles are sore today. That's my acute training load. Okay. Now, we subtract chronic training load from acute training load. So these are in TSS per day is what we look at. So if I'm doing my chronic training load gets to 100, that means that I've averaged 100 TSS every day for the last 42 days. And then if my acute training load is like, let's say, 150 for the last seven days, we'll subtract the two, that negative 50 then is what we call training stress balance. And that means that you're very fatigued. So when you are a uh, negative number, you're fatigued. When you're in balance, you're at zero. Chronic training loads 100, acute training loads 100. I'm in, I'm in balance. Now, when I'm fresh, then that means my acute training load is lower. Let's say it's 80 and my chronic training load is 100. So I'm a positive 20. That means I'm very fresh. So we want to come into events knowing where we are, right? So some sometimes, you know, we did a, we looked at 300 different athletes, 500 athletes. We looked at thousands of athletes now and looked at their training stress balance, where they are when they had a personal best. Ah. Okay. So you need to kind of see this correlation. Right. And that's one of the biggest things that you can do with your power meter is that you can figure out, well, gosh, every time I'm positive 10 and I go out on the weekend, I crack out a new best. Or every time I'm positive 20 and I go out, and I do a new sprint. I have a best new sprint. So understanding where you are in terms of being fresh or imbalanced or fatigued and then when you have your best performances is critical yeah. because that, that's the holy grail of coaching, right? Of it's like, 
anybody can, oh, hey, Joe, you know, here, go do this training plan. You're going to get better if I just give you some structure. No problem. But Joe, when you come to me and you say, you know, on June the 15th, I want to win Masters Nationals and have the best ride of my life. Right. That's what a coach does, right? Is plan that so you have the peak on that day. Right. And that's and that, we use the performance manager and your power meter for that. And and just to clarify, just to understand it better, uh, that could be I mean it, it it might be the same sort of problem where if you go into your main race, your main event tired then you're not going to perform your best. So you did you did a whole year's worth of training and you showed up tired. And so it was like you didn't even train in terms of the results. But the other side of the same problem would be that you rested too long. So you were positive 30 instead of positive 20 and you detrained and right. you also didn't get your best. So there's a balance in there. Uh, over time, there's a balance of where you want to go negative sometimes, and that's where you're pushing yourself to adapt to harder stresses. But then you want to recover in time for your most important events, but not recover too much. And probably that's pretty personal. Some people, mm -hmm. you know, the, in terms of the the taper, I guess is right. the word. Right. Right. They, exactly. you know, some people taper fast, and then they detrain fast, and some people, you know, and etc. Right. I get that right. right? Yeah, absolutely. And think about it. This is a great way to think about it, too. I mean, imagine you were doing the Tour de France and I was like, wow, I'm going to, you know, I, I'm going to not train for three months and be really fresh going into the Tour de France. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to crush people. Right? I'm so fresh. No, you detrained a lot. Right. All right. Versus the, the other side of the story is like, I'm going into the Tour de France and I'm going to do a Tour de France before the Tour de France. And you come into it and now you're super fatigued. Um, and then you, you're you not going to do well either. So that is the, and that's why we call it training stress balance, to find that right balance to create the peak that you want to create. Right. Well, that's really cool. It's it's uh, it's kind of amazing to think that um, you and, and people you've worked with have kind of created all of this from scratch just based on these devices that are really so recent they're 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 not like since our parents were kids <laughs> they're they're like since we were already adults right. <laughs> these things have emerged uh so right. they're, they're really quite recent so yeah. that, no, that is really cool and of course they're not perfect but i mean what else do you have i mean other than like heart rate and uh, race results, there is right. nothing else. So that's why it's so powerful because it's just an entirely new set of data. Right, right. It is. And, and there are a couple things out there. I mean, there, you know, there's the, how do we track the life stress, right? You guys have probably seen the whoop strap or the aura ring, you know, those sure. things are great at, at tracking life stress. And that helps to kind of meld that in together and understand, well, here's my training stress. You know, do I have the right balance of that? Am I getting enough sleep? You know, all those types of things. You know, what impacts my sleep and, and such as well. So those are also good tools. Um, but ultimately, if you have a power meter on your bike, you understand training stress score, you understand your performance manager, and you understand what gives you the right balance of that training stress so that you can create that peak when you want it, that's really powerful. Like if that's all you did with your power meter and that's not even saying, well, gosh, here's my FTP at 300 Watts. And I'm going to go do FTP intervals and I need to ride at 300 Watts to do FTP intervals. That's not even doing that, right? Because that's the next thing, right? Oh, we'll just ride in the right training zones. Um, if you just did the, the performance manager and understood that, that would be a huge uh, benefit for you. Sure, sure. Well, comment if you will on this uh, this question, which comes up. I hear, I read about it a lot. I, I've been confused about it myself. And this, you know, are training zones based on heart rate or are they based on power? So you can have both. Okay, so you can have your training zones based on your heart rate. Um, and you know, the original ones was 220 minus your age, which is just kind of, uh, it's just too random. 
Um, you know, I really like the ones that are based on your threshold heart rate. So what is my threshold heart rate? You know, it's 168. I can hold that for an hour, et cetera. And then we build the zones around that. That's, that's much more accurate, I believe. Um, but so your max, your, your, so not your maximum heart rate, but your heart rate that you can hold for an hour. Exactly. Exactly. Your threshold heart rate. I like that. That's that, that works. Now the problem with heart rate is, and I'm sure you guys, you know, have talked about this and, and lots of listeners know about this is it's, it's, it's a response. Okay. So it, it's a, it's, it's dependent on all kinds of things, how much caffeine you had, how much sleep you had, how hydrated you are, the heat, the humidity. I mean, just tons of different things. Um, so it can really fluctuate and that's, that's why it's not that great as a training tool because 150 watt, 150 heartbeat at 8,000 feet elevation is a completely different 150 at sea level. Okay. Yeah. Or at 95 degrees, 150 is different than at 60 degrees. So those right. things can be very, very, you know, challenging to deal with. Now power zones, right? Those are built off of your threshold power. And once you've got that FTP number, then you build all the zones around those all the way from active recovery up to neuromuscular power, active recovery being zone one, um, neuromuscular power being zone seven. And then we even have individualized zones. So for some people who don't fit in the, in the typical classic zones, we call them Coggins classic zones. They don't fit in there. We have individual zones and then that, further defines you so that you can be assured, you know what, if I train between 320 and 340 watts and I do intervals at three minutes, I am going to improve my VO2 max. Um, and so it's, it's all, I, I love to say it, it's almost a guarantee, right? That you're going to improve if you train correctly in those training zones. Okay. And then in terms of like addressing the, I mean, for example, if, if you normally your, let's just say your endurance power is, uh, 200 Watts say, Mm -hmm. but today I'm trying to, I'm trying to do my two hour ride at an endurance pace of, you know, or endurance power of 200 Watts, but my heart rate, it's re it feels really hard today. So my, Mm -hmm. my heart rates up, um, I mean, do I just push through or. Am I just not recovered? And and so it's probably not a good idea to push through. How would, how do people react to that kind of thing? So that's a, that's, um, that's a tough question because, um, sometimes, um, you know, what what you did, obviously what you did in the week before, two weeks before really impacts you. So if you go out and let's say, for example, you know, you're leaving the, the house and your training stress balance is already negative 50 then I'm probably fatigued and this is just a challenge. Now, if you go out and your training stress balance is zero or maybe it's negative five or positive five and it just feels hard to you, I would just keep on riding, right? Just keep riding. You know, it it could be your perceived exertion is not correctly. Well, it isn't. Your perceived exertion is not correctly aligned with your actual exertion. Right. And that's the beautiful thing about having a power meter this is my actual exertion. It's 200 Watts. It was 200 Watts yesterday. It was 200 Watts in the rain. It was 200 Watts in the cold. It was 200 Watts up the hill. It's 200 Watts. This is my actual exertion. So I would continue to push through that. So look at your acute training load first and where your training stress balance is, and then you can make that decision. So again, the, the key is that you've got to have, you've got to have done the work and tracked the data so that you can know where you are or where you should be so that you know how to interpret these feelings. Uh, and it keeps you from backing off when you shouldn't have, and then you lost your workout and maybe detrained a little or, you know, lost some time. Um, but on the other hand, if you really were in a hole already and you, and you were kind of on the, the line of whether maybe I was, had done too much and, and, and I need to do active recovery rather than an endurance pace, then this will tell you, okay, yeah. If you, if it feels too hard, then it, it's probably too hard then and just let it go. Right. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, that, yeah. that makes good sense. Yeah. So Glenn, I have another question for you. So mm-hmm. in your experience when, and, 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 and 
we're going to qualify this knowing that you're a mutant. Okay. So you're a mutant. <laughs> not, not everybody is a mutant. All right. But I'm just curious, um, in your experience, what, if you had to define the type of training that increased your FTP and made you most successful, if you could only do one thing, right? If I could only train in one zone and that's all I could train in, where would you train? What would you do? Wow, that's a really good question because you think about, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't like training at all. I've discovered that when I train, I mentally burn out. Okay. I find I can get a much better result in races. So I use my racing to prepare me for the races. Okay. It's the best way. Cause I, I recover better after a race than I do after a hard training ride. I don't know why that is. Okay. So I would have to say because um, like what I'm trained to do for like a world record in the pursuit, something like that, I'm I'm really training. That's what I'm doing my best training. And I'll never forget, um, I was, I'm really bad in time trials. I'm just not good at time trials. I get too distracted, I guess. I can't focus for an hour <laughs> to ADD. But interesting thing was one year, I'm not sure, it was some years ago in California, um, I was getting off the front in races and I'd be up about 10 seconds. And every lap it was 10 seconds and 10 seconds and 10 seconds and 10 seconds. And after about maybe oh, eight or nine laps, it'd go to 12 seconds and then 14 seconds. And so I call that break in the field. And I discovered, because what I was really doing was time trialing. Mm -hmm. And I stay out there in time trial. That year, I won. I won the state championships, and it's because my training, which was actually in a race, was time trialing. Because in a race, you don't time trial. You you you'll be riding in the pack at a certain pace, and then you go hard for an attack, or you might be chasing someone down. But when you if you go off the front, you're in, you're in time trial mode, and you're going as hard as you can until either the pack catches you or you get away. And so, you know, like I said, for me, it's really racing is my training. Okay. If there's not any races, it's really like you know we got. Nationals coming up in about what a week? Yeah, at Nationals, and I've been on a track in two years because the track's closed here. So I can't go to Nationals. There's no way I haven't trained for it. It'd be insane yeah, riding a fixed gear bike without riding. I'm, I'm liable to stop pedaling. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I figure, you know, um, for me, it really comes down to I don't like training, but I love racing. Okay. And so my early season races are all based around the idea of what's coming up that I want to train for. And I do that in the race mm -hmm. where I find oh, yeah. it's more fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. What do you think about that, Hunter, as a coach? Um, mm -hmm. I mean, do you ever advise your clients to do that? Because, I, I mean, I'll, ha I'll echo what Glenn has said and say mm -hmm. that, of course, my history is different. Um, but I've never been good at training because mm -hmm. I, I can't bring myself to suffer voluntarily mm -hmm. but in a race i'm not suffering it it's hurting like crazy but i'm not suffering right. i'm you know my blood is up and uh and it's 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 all in it's my it's my life you sure. know and sure. and i'm willing to do whatever it takes right so is that good training well i mean racing is always good training absolutely okay. it always is good training um now I think that for the majority of us, um, and again, let's just qualify, Glenn is a mutant, and yeah. um, so don't take his advice. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, we have to train in order to be competitive, right? So for me, you know, I love racing too. Um, I also like training, and but I don't want to go to a race unless I know I can be in the top five. Like, I just don't even want to go, right? Because it, it's, for me, that's too demoralizing. That it's like, God, I suck, you know, and, and then I just don't, and I don't enjoy it. Whereas I want to go to a race, you know, and I hadn't raced in 10 years and I raced this spring in April and um, I went to the race and I'm like, you know, I'm going to freaking kick ass. You know, I haven't raced in 10 years and um, it was my first ever 50 plus race. I'm 52 now. And um, I got third, you know, and, and I couldn't be in the breakaway but I was right there. Um, and so that was really, really cool. And, um, and it was fun. So I was, ha I had fun doing that, but I, for, for most people, we need to train our FTPs and that's what Glenn's doing. Right. So he's training his FTP in the races and he's doing, he does it really well in the races because he's hyper motivated because he's being chased. Right. And he, he's hyper competitive. He wants to win. And so he's pushing himself harder than he would ever do that in training. And so, and, and that's really good, right? So there are two different kinds of athletes. And they're the athletes who race up, 
Okay. And I would say the three of us all are in that, right? I, I, I love training, but I don't train as hard as I can race, right? Get me in a race and you know, I'm at I'm the next level. I don't know what happens. You know, just race up, right? And the best athletes are like that. Track and field, football, whatever, you name them, right? We're all like that. Mm-hmm. The other ones, right, do the opposite where they're amazing training, but then they get to the race and they don't do that well. Huh. I remember I was a pro. It was, uh, I think it was 1995, and I had just won a stage race the previous two weekends before that. I knew I was riding well. I went out with my buddy who was a Category 3 racer, and this guy whacked my tail up and down the hills and just crushed me. And I was like, oh, my God, I suck. What has happened to me? <laughs> you know, the next weekend, I think it was like on Wednesday, and the next weekend, I lapped the field in the pro race twice and won easily, and he didn't even place in the Cat 3 race. And I was just huh. like, dude, you should be killing people. What happened to you? And this guy just, he couldn't race up. Whether it was huh. psychological, whatever it was, he just, he trained up, but raced down. So huh. that's kind of a bad scenario. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I noticed something this happened this past winter. I got on Zwift this last year and I was doing a lot of Zwift racing. And there are guys that are kicking my butt on Zwift, just kicking my butt. And I'm thinking, I see them in a bike race, I'm like, oh, great. And I kick their butts in bike races in the real world. So there's the real world, and then there's the Zwift world. And I'm, you know, I see the numbers they're putting out because you can see the kind of numbers they're generating, their power output and everything else. It's like, whoa, it's mind boggling. But in a race, they get dropped. It was interesting, yeah. you know, to see that. Racing's a so there's a lot animal. of different variables in a Zwift versus a, a real race. Uh, some of them artificial <laughs> and some of them real. Well, we'll assume that everyone, no one's cheating. Yeah. Right. But just <laughs> the, the, the fear of crashing, that's right. going to wipe some people out. Sure, sure. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and, and too, I mean, you know, it, it takes, right, when, when you're on Zwift, you're just time trialing, right? That's different than in a race because – You've got to know how the flow of the field is moving, where to sit in the field, how to rest, when to go, how to read the race, when the race is about to snap, what's the right move to go with, when you shouldn't be at the front, when you should be at the front. You know, and I've looked at so many thousands of power meter files now. You know, the best road racers in the world, the guys who win the road races, not crits, not time trials, but road races, they don't pedal at least 18% of the time. Wow. Right? What? Zero power. Zero power. 18% of the time they don't pedal because they're sitting in the field. They're not in the wind. They're coasting, right? They're saving energy, right? Because cycling and racing in a lot of ways, especially road racing, it's the game of conservation of energy and who has the most energy in the last fifth of the race and then they can throw down that's an important lesson i think yeah uh coming uh, from me someone who doesn't really know much about doing that uh, (laughs) i have burned myself out too many times well that is awesome well hunter we've uh really run out of time here a few minutes ago and so i want to wrap up and but before i don't want to cut you off is there anything else related to this training with power that you think people should know that we haven't mentioned. And then also if you can tell people how they can find you and you know, your books and that sort of thing. Sure. Sure. I mean, from a training with power perspective, I think it's important just to, to follow those steps that that I have in in training and racing with a power meter book. That's absolutely critical. And then, um, you know, I think, I think that that also makes a difference in listening to your body. You know, I mean, we still, we have all this data, but you also have to still listen to your body. So, so, so you know, yeah. it, it is something where you continue to blend that. The beautiful thing of having a power meter is it's objective, right? 200 watts is 200 yeah. watts is 200 watts. Your, your yeah. mind is saying, don't go train in the rain, you know, because I don't want to get wet or blah, blah. But, you know, like, oh, I got to go train, right? So there's, there's things that you have to kind of do from that perspective. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I've got a, and, and just so uh, I've got a new book coming out um, in, in this fall. I'm super excited about it. It's going to be it's triathlon training with power. So it's for triathletes. Uh-huh. 
So Sweet. it's going to contain the cycling, the running, and the swimming component. I've co-authored it with uh, a good friend of mine, Dr. Chris Myers. He, uh, okay. he really did the running and swimming pieces of it. So that's going to be really exciting. And, uh, and, you, and you can find me on peakscoachinggroup.com, peakscoachinggroup.com. P-E-A-K-S. P-E-A-K-S, or you can just type Hunter Allen into the Google, and I am there. And uh, Google knows you. Okay. Well, I can attest to that. That's awesome. Well, all right, guys. Uh, this was great. Uh, I look forward to round two. Hunter, Glenn, thank you very much. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Hunter Allen about how to get the most out of your power meter to improve your athletic performance. And thanks to Hunter for taking some time to share his expertise. You can find more information about Hunter in the show notes, and be sure to stay tuned for part two of our discussion with Hunter, where he will dive into the benefits of yoga for cyclists. And if you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That would be a great help. Thanks again.